power on. Time for game talk. Ooh, the Golden Stallion, the man of tomorrow, Savzu, the radar radio star, here with, I know what you're thinking, what the hell is this? Well, I'll tell you what it is. Uh, come episode, or after, I should say, after episode 300, so new patrons get kind of the, the inside track on this. Come after episode 300, um, Game Talk is not going to be in the main show. Uh, I am going to be replacing it with another uh, new segment um, that's going to be a part of it, but because of that, I know there's so many people that still love Game Talk every time that it comes on, and I assure you I'm going to replace it with something that's relatively fun, because that was always the nice thing about having Game Talk in the show, is that, you know, I need to, like, take a breather, and I need to have a good time, uh, because the rest of the show always just seems so goddamn serious, you know, you just hear the Joker, why it's all serious, right, all that crap, so anyway, Game Talk is always a fun thing to do, and I really don't want to stop doing it, because... Honestly, I feel a need to talk about video games. I really do. And so what I decided was is that I am going to make Game Talk its own little show. And it is going to be a little show. It's not something that's going to be another two hours that I do every month or something like that. Uh, But it's going to be, you know, anywhere between 15 to 30 minutes per episode. At least that's the plan. I've planned that before and then things turn into an hour. Uh, Maybe there will be episodes where it turns out like that. Maybe I'll have some co-hosts on for Game Talk. Uh, at certain points. I know certainly Rob could talk up some games with me, uh, among others. And, you know, we'll, we'll see how that ends up, uh, you know, taking shape. But for now, um, it is the idea is that it'll be 15 to 30 minutes where either I'm reviewing a game, which is what's going to happen in this episode, or it's where I'm going to be, uh, you know, talking about a certain game story. Now, this is definitely something for the Sovereign Tech diehards, even though I know a lot of you like to listen to Game Talk. And because of that, This first episode, there might be one more where I do it this way, but the first episode is actually just going to be um, is going to be available to all patrons. Future episodes, though, are going to be done with video, and so where I mean, and there's going to be a lot of video, so those will be part of the five dollar tier, okay, where it's the dilettante of the triple black arts, okay, that they will be part of the of the five dollar tier, and you will get video usually from 99% of the time it's going to be from within the BDSM studios. Of course, BDSM is Brian's dungeon of sex and magic, and so where better than to practice, uh, you know, to be a, a practitioner, a dilettante of the triple black arts. Um, so, this is going to be pretty cool. I'm I'm excited about this uh, to be doing game talk as its own uh, as its own show. So for our first outing, as far as this is now, you may be hearing this, and wow, I just saw a guy walking by wearing like he has literal pizza on his pants. I streets, the me, the mean streets of <laughs> of some part of New Hampshire. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> of course you just heard the lovely and hyperintelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy, the boss uh, there, and. She, uh, she's actually, so if you're wondering, I'm on my H6, I am actually recording this while in a car. Uh, obviously, I'm not doing this from the studio, and uh, Stephanie is doing the driving. It'd be goddamn weird if I was the one recording this while doing the driving. So, but like I said, this is going to be, and, and mainly this will just be me, uh, but this is going to be a review of a classic game that I actually just played through again this week. Um, and played straight through and did it all the way. Um, other than there is like 
like a lot of classic video games, sometimes there would be what would be, like, say, in Zelda terms, would be a master quest, uh, a second time around, as it were. Um, in this sense, I didn't do a second time around just because it's not something that actually sticks if you do a second time around. But we'll talk more about that as we talk about the game itself. And the game we're going to talk about is a 1989 classic. And I mean, this is a classic in every sense of the word. Uh, classic in that when you think classic video games, you probably, one of the first things I imagine you think of is some kind of Super Mario Brothers. Not a bad catch, not a bad call. In fact, and then when you think about classic Super Mario Brothers, you probably think of, I bet even before you think of the original Super Mario Brothers, you think of Super Mario Brothers 3. Totally understandable easily one of the greatest games. In fact, if someone said to me, I think that's the greatest video game ever made, I wouldn't argue with them too much. It literally, no pun intended, changed the game. Uh, Super Mario Bros. 3 is one of the best-selling games of all time. So with that in perspective, let's understand this. The game that I'm talking about this week literally sold more than Super Mario Bros. 3. Um, it was that white hot. And it did so without being included with the console, which maybe that's what you would think is like, well, if it's something that came with a console, maybe the console sold that many, you know, over 18 million copies or something, and that made it so hot. Uh, but if it was actually out there on its own, maybe it wouldn't have sold that well and bested out Super Mario Brothers 3. This is not true. This was supposed to sell with its console, but it did not end up selling with the console. What we're talking about is the very first Super Mario Land for the original puke green Game Boy. Uh, and wow, is this... This game, there's really no other Mario Brothers like it, and it's true. Like, there, there just is no other Mario game quite like it. Um, and partly that was because Shigeru Miyamoto was not involved in its production. In fact, he kind of infamously uh, was not involved with it. Um, you would have other... In fact, his really... <laughs> Miyamoto's kind of... Uh, uh, was it, Oh, what's his name? Shit. Uh, Gunpei Yokoi, who... He was the producer of the game, but Gapoi was, you know, really Miyamoto's teacher. Okay, so this, I mean, they really brought in a lot of elements into this game that really wouldn't make an appearance in any other Mario game. Uh, this would end up being the first appearance, though, of Princess Daisy, who would have a major role in future Mario games going forward. Um, you were not rescuing Princess Peach in this, but the basic story of the game is just that. It is you are going to rescue a princess. But again, in this case, it's Princess Daisy, which, uh, in a way, I always kind of like Daisy a little bit better. Of course, I've always been a bigger fan of Luigi than I am Mario, just on a personal level. Um, and by the way, I did pick up uh, the re-release for the 3DS of Luigi's Mansion from the GameCube back in 2001. Oh man, you better believe we're going to talk about that on Game Talk at some point here. So anyway, uh, developed by Nintendo's R&D 1, not to be confused with Nintendo's R&D 2, very clever name. Um, but this was, this was supposed to be, Super Mario Land was supposed to be the game that would sell the Game Boy. Like, this is the reason you are going to get the Game Boy in the late 80s. Uh, instead, there was convincing, of course, to package Tetris with the Game Boy. And the rest, is, as they say, is history, because we all know how genuinely, how well that went. Um, in fact, history could be a very different thing, I think, for the Game Boy if Super Mario Land was the original game to, 
to get included with it. Not that Super Mario Land is a bad game, by no stretch. In fact, I dare say, I think next to Super Mario Brothers, the original Super Mario Brothers, like if you wanted to introduce people to video gaming in general, and I don't just mean Mario games, I don't mean Nintendo games. I mean, if you wanted to get people into video games themselves, this is probably the game I'd hand over. In fact, after you're done playing Super Mario Brothers for the first time, this is what I would play next because, you know, the American version of Super Mario Brothers 2 is compared to the Japanese version of Super Mario Brothers 2, which was uh, later released as Lost Levels uh, on Super Mario All-Stars. That, you know, this game feels a lot more like Super Mario Brothers, like the original Super Mario Brothers. Um, and it's not as different as Super Mario Brothers 3 or, or the like. Um, and then, of course, you know, this game was so popular, like I said, that it would end up spawning a lot of sequels. Uh, in fact, the entire Wario Land series and the WarioWare series, really, would all come out of uh, later games in the Super Mario Land saga, uh, which there'd be a trilogy, the second one, uh, you know, Super Mario Land 2, which is a very different game, uh, an amazing game, in fact, considered one of the greatest Nintendo games ever made. Um, I think it's in, I want to say it's ranked within, like, by like IGN or something, within the top 50. As to where Super Mario Land, I want to say, is like number 77 out of 100. Um, but then the Wario Land games, you know, whole other that's operating on a whole other level and that would end up starting with Super Mario Land 3. So but Super Mario Land 1, um, some unique things about it. Now again, it really is just pint, it's a pint-sized Super Mario Brothers game. It's a platformer 2D classic stuff just like you'd expect. I mean, it feels like the original Super Mario Brothers, uh, you know, all the way. It has a lot more going on in the background, a lot of interesting stuff, like at points you're seeing Easter Island heads um, in all of this. You have your general, you know, you have your mushrooms, the super mushroom, right, that will make you grow. Uh, you have the uh, fire, you know, you have the fire flower, but the fire flower has you shoot like super balls, not really fireballs. And these balls, like you throw them at the ground and then they kind of bounce up. And it's a very, it's a different mechanic from the first Super Mario Brothers game. Uh, but it does allow for some really, in, I mean, it has kind of a physics base to it and it allows for some very interesting things to happen because as to where in the first Super Mario Brothers game uh, you would end up having where you know the fireballs would just kind of fly off the screen in this sense these ball these super balls will just bounce all over the screen and they'll they'll kind of until they hit something or until they can actually fall or fly off the side uh, one of the sides of the screen in that sense and in fact at some points you can't even shoot more of them until one of the, one of the super balls uh, disappears, which, you know, makes for an interesting game mechanic, I guess we'll say. Um, but, you know, I mean, this did come out four years after uh, Super Mario Brothers. It would come out after a lot of the, you know, other Super Mario Brothers games would end up coming out for the NES. Uh, but like I said, this really does feel like when you are playing it, jumping, I mean, all of it, just picture it. It's very much the same game as you would get with Super Mario Brothers, just with, uh, you know, a couple little differences, kind of like I described. Uh, the other interesting thing is that there is a water level within this game. Um, and in that water level, you don't swim. You actually control a submarine. 
Um, also, in the later levels, and we'll talk about how many levels there are, etc., in just a second. In the later levels, you actually get to fly an airplane uh, that can shoot fire, just like the submarine can shoot, like, kind of these projectiles that look like fire. Uh, they play very much like Gradius, and they were, I remember playing it as a kid, and I just thought it was a really welcome addition because I was such a huge fan of Gradius and Life Force and all that at the time that to do that and you know, in a Mario game was just like, whoa, this is, you know, so badass. Um, so that was a very cool little element to put in there. You never really get that in any other Mario game, and it really helps make Super Mario Land feel very unique, even though throughout the rest of the game, it feels very familiar if you're used to the 85 Mario Brothers. Uh, beyond that, you re it is a very short game. You end up with only, I think there's a total of four levels with three worlds, or is it four worlds with three levels, however you want to phrase that, uh, as to where the 85 Super Mario Brothers game, you have eight worlds with four levels a pop. Uh, this is a much shorter game. Understandably, I mean, this is the first time that they were able to put a platformer like this into such a tiny package like the original Game Boy. Um, but it worked. I mean, it really, really worked. It plays. It's a marvel. Honestly, especially consider that in 89, the idea of taking a full-fledged, you know, because in 85, Mario Brothers was state-of-the-art, right? I mean, like, like no one had ever played a game like that. No one had ever, you know, had such fluid mechanics, uh, you know, within the game and everything. I mean, it was just, it was unheard of. And it was this, you know, masterpiece. Come four years later, you find out, holy shit, I'm going to be able to put that in my pocket. Yeah, I mean, people were saying effectively you had an arcade machine in your pocket because it just played so goddamn well. It was so perfect, and it really was it, it was perfect. Now, this game does end up getting re-released for the virtual console for the Nintendo 3DS in 2011. It's one of the very early games to get put on the virtual console. Um, they did clean it up a little bit and fix some of the game mechanics issues you know, a couple little jumping issues, but by and large, back in 89, this was a perfect game, uh, and no one had ever experienced anything remotely like it in a handheld. I mean, it just, you know, this wasn't like, a, you know, the Tiger LED games or those little Tiger watches that you'd wear that have some kind of LED game in them. This was a full-fledged, you know, living room experience in your hands, in your pocket. And I mean, that, that was just, that was out of this world. Um, so what can be said about the game as far as the review itself? I mean, frankly, again, like I was just saying, it's Super Mario Brothers pocket-sized. It plays beautifully. It plays brilliantly. If you think Super Mario, the 85 Super Mario Brothers is a great game, 89 Super Mario Land is a great fucking game. There's no other way to put it because it plays just like that. Um, and it has some variety to it that makes it worthwhile. And variety, unlike the Japanese version of Super Mario Brothers 2, you know, unlike Lost Levels, where the game is like punishingly hard. This game isn't punishingly hard, and you could really beat it in, a, in an afternoon. Like, I, if you take your time, you could really beat it in an afternoon. And especially if you're playing it on an emulator that allows for save states, uh, you know, to save the game at various points, or if you're playing it on the 3DS, where you have the ability, the 3DS has the feature with any virtual console game to create uh, singular restore points. So pretty much you could get through either a hard part of a level or you could get past the level, set up a restore point, and then if you fuck things up, you just go back to it. You know, it's not... The interesting thing today is that when you play these games today, you don't have to deal with part of what made them so punishingly hard was that you would have to, um, you know, you would run out of out of lives and 
you wouldn't be able to just you sometimes you'd have to go all the way back to the beginning of the game it was a serious pain in the ass well today you know you can get rid of that you know that that problem uh and not that it's a problem i mean that's kind of like how they thought about it they wanted to make it difficult in that way back in the day Um, but you can get past that today and you can just appreciate and enjoy and have a lot of fun with the game and not have to worry that holy shit you're going to be playing this thing for you know a week uh, or you know a month maybe and you're going to you know you're going to have to keep like starting from the beginning all over again Um, some later games like Game Boy Color games when you get past Game Boy Game Boy Color games would end up you know putting in save states and things like that Uh, of course Link's Awakening I think would allow for some of that on the original Game Boy but that was definitely not a part of the program initially with the Game Boy that you'd be thinking that you'd have save states and so on. Um, so have playing it on emulators or playing it on the 3DS gives you a real advantage uh, as far as that goes with having the ability to, you know, I mean, you, you can just save it anywhere, really. Um, as far as other elements with the game, music is an important thing to talk about. Uh, this is definitely one of the great scores. Uh, here's, uh, sorry, Hirokazu, <laughs> Hirokazu, Hirokazu Tanaka, who is just a legend in the business. Uh, he would end up, I mean, this is widely considered, if not his best uh, composition, his best score. Um, it is certainly considered like one of his best Uh, and there is some pretty awesome music in this you easily get the feel for everything that's going on because there's kind of egyptian levels like i said there's the easter island levels which what kind of music would that even be well tanaka gives you a taste and then there's uh, you know there's like a ninja world where you're you know more uh you know dealing with uh, japan as it were and you definitely get the feel for that i mean it's just a tremendous tremendous score uh, all the way around uh, that makes the game very enjoyable to listen to so if you're going to be playing this on an emulator or if you're going to be playing this on your 3ds have a good pair of headphones even though it's simple basic 8-bit game boy music um, it really is beautiful stuff so you want you want to experience that uh, and you want to hear that overall um, other than that you know what's what's to say about this game uh, again, you do get some elements within it, the Gradius style shooting that you never get in another Mario game. The Super Ball, you never really get that in another Mario game. Um, the Also, the introduction of Princess Daisy, though, you're going to get that in a lot of other Mario games. And this was so, again, it sold better than Super Mario Brothers 3. We ended up getting an entire trilogy and then an entire side series with the Wario games um, entirely coming out of you know, out of this. Uh, I mean, it, it was that big of a deal. And you know, when you're playing this, you really can't help but realize like why Mario is just, you'd think Mario is so passe, right? He's not master chief, you know, he's not, well, Sonic is, has actually kind of become passe other than Sonic Mania and some other things. Um, but you would think that, you know, Mario would, would really be passe and that maybe it's just a fluke that a character like this would even ever become a big deal and that it all was just a fluke. No, I mean, when you realize, when you play this game, even today, it still plays so well. It still feels so solid, uh, that you totally understand why this character has stood the test of time. I mean, it just makes all the sense in the world. Why, you know, why Mario? Well, this is why Mario, because whatever format you put him in, he just, it just ends up being that great of a game and it just feels natural.
Now, some comments on controllers as well. This is a very precision game, okay? And as a platformer, I've never really had a controller that I felt totally comfortable with. Uh, with a lot of Game Boy games, especially Game Boy platformers, and especially a Mario game. Um, and I buy, you know, I buy very high-end controllers. Just their D-pads never really feel the same. They never have that same Nintendo quality from back in the day. And I say from back in the day. Even I have the 8-bit Do uh, NES 30 Pro. That's about the closest that I felt where, okay, this feels like I'm actually, you know, really using a Nintendo controller. That's about as close as I can get. Honestly, even playing this on the 3DS, which I beat Super Mario Land uh, recently for this review on the Nintendo 3DS, actually the new Nintendo 2DS XL is what I beat it on because the virtual console games have no 3D unless they, it's like the 3D classics line that they put out there. Um, even with that, Honestly, the D-pad on the 2DS, specific, well, I mean, it's the same as on the 3DS, but so I'll just say the 3DS. The, the D-pad on the 3DS feels, it just doesn't feel right. And it's a little smaller. I, it feels like it's a little smaller than what I'm used to on the original Game Boy uh, or even on an NES controller. And it does kind of get in the way of controls. Like it just doesn't feel the same. They made things, you know, I know I sound like an old man. They made things solid as a fucking rock, like solid as a rock back in the 80s. Like the original Game Boy, there's a reason so many people still have them. Hell, it's why they use them to compose music, right? You have your, you know, your 8-bit DJs and all that. Um, then, you know, and like even the old Nintendo controllers, I mean, people really pay top dollar for these in any kind of good condition because they were just... They were made different. Now, the NES controllers that come with the NES Classic, uh, those feel really good. And maybe that would work out for this. I don't know. But the smaller D-pad, for Super Mario Land anyway, did feel a little off. But it didn't keep me from being able to rather handily beat the game. Um, again, also, it's not a very hard game. Uh, in fact, you get a harder version of it after you beat it the first time. And then after you beat it the second time in the harder version, then you, you gain the ability to, to actually access any level you want at any time. The, the reason I didn't go through on the second level of hard, not because I can't do it. I certainly can. Um, the reason I didn't do it was that back in the day, so I did it back in 89, you know, well, actually, I guess it would have been more 90 or 91 when I got my first Game Boy because they, they came out with the Game Boy Pocket. But back then, when you got the game, uh, or when, like when you beat the game in that way, you beat it twice and then you got where you could unlock levels. As soon as you turned off the fucking Game Boy, all of that was erased because there's, there were no save states. So I, I just, and like, I remember being like, as a little kid, just kind of depressed by that. I'd be like, well, shit, I just beat this game through twice and I gained this ability to access any level and I can't hold on to that. Like, how do I even prove it to my friends other than I play through it again? And again, it's it's a shorter game, so, you, you know, you could kind of do that. But um, now today, of course, I could, like, save a restore point and, you know, on the 3DS itself and then be able to access that, you know, in the future to do so. Maybe I maybe I do that. But, like, what's the point? You know, for the review, like, the harder version isn't that much harder. And then, like I said, by nature, theoretically, unless I created that restore point, 
I'd lose everything that I did as soon as I exited the game anyway, right, on the 3DS. So, you know, that felt kind of pointless to me, so I didn't actually go through the second uh, the second playthrough. Um, but regardless of, of all of that, you know, the, the controls, getting back to the controls on that, the controller does feel a little odd. Um, if you have a converter for an original NES uh, controller or if you have a converter for the NES Classic controllers, that's probably your best bet to go with. Um, though I'll tell you, the circle pad on the 3DS really, really makes things a lot easier on the uh, Gradius-style uh, levels, on the submarine level and the airplane level, uh, which actually, on the 3DS, speaking of, of games that I will be reviewing in the future on Game Talk, uh, in a lot of the Gradius games that you can play on the 3DS, the circle pad just gives you such a much better feel of controlling that um, because it's it's about the slimmest version of a joystick you could possibly create. Um so anyway, uh, yeah, I definitely, if you haven't played Super Mario Land or if you're like, well, you know, I want to get back into video games, but you want to get that feeling of beating a game again. Like, what is it like to actually beat a game to feel that sense of accomplishment? And look, folks, that's fucking real. Okay. Like it feels good to best a game, you know, and, and to go through it and to beat it all the way through. It's pretty awesome. And a game that doesn't have really a bunch of like achievements or anything like that, you beat it, it's done. It's, you know, short and, you know, one and done like that, that is, that's a feeling, you know, and that's a good thing to, if you want to get into gaming where you could feel better going forward, okay, now I'm going to play this next game. Because I think a lot of people who want to get into video games, like they start with something like Final Fantasy and, you know, 80 hours later, they're just like, well, fuck this, I'm done. You know, this is a game, it doesn't need a walkthrough. There's not a whole ton of secrets or anything. I mean, you want to, you know, you can choose to, this is another element that wasn't in any other Mario game where, when you get to the end of the level, there's a door at the top and there's a door at the bottom. It's harder to get to the door at the top, but the door at the top will get you to a bonus game where you can get extra lives or you can get flower power or something like that, um, which is kind of a cool element. Again, you never really see that again in any other uh, Mario game, but there's no real secrets to this. And so, you know, it's just a straightforward game that you can play and you can be done. And when you're done with it, you feel like, holy shit, I just beat a Mario game. And you did. And that can inspire you maybe if you want to play uh, future Mario games. I think that that's a totally worthwhile thing. So anyway, that, that's it for Super Mario Land. If, totally playable today. It holds up very well. It's, I mean, just the, you know, the mechanic, the game mechanics of it are just so fluid and perfect. Uh, and they were even a little more perfected, um, in the, the virtual console version. Uh, you just, you can't go wrong, you know, and I, I totally recommend playing it and fuck for the price. You know, if you buy it in the virtual console, it's like three 99. Uh, I mean, you know, why wouldn't you, you know, <laughs> so that's, that's my thoughts on it. Uh, anyway, Super Mario Land, there's your review. Uh, if I was going to give it, I, I think it might be fun to do kind of a star system. We could do out of, you know, out of five, out of five stars. Um, I would give this a four. I would really give this a four. Uh, it doesn't have, like, after you beat it, it's really over. So that one lack of star really comes down to, it doesn't necessarily have replayability. Um, there isn't much of a, there isn't much depth there as far as story or as far as like secrets to find, even though that can be an advantage. I don't necessarily want to take points off for that. Um, but it's just, there's not as, there's not as much meat in it as would end up happening in other Mario games, but it is an absolute classic. It's deserving of all the sales that it, that it garnered. Um, and it's deserving of any reputation that it has. 
much like the 78 Superman, where it was the first time you believed you could fly, I think Super Mario Land proved you could have real gaming, serious gaming in your pocket, and Super Mario Land was absolutely the proof. More so even than Metroid 2, because Metroid 2 was a little bit of a fuck-up. I mean, it's a great game, but it, but the the monochrome... Because, again, Game Boy, the original Game Boy games were all monochrome. Super Mario Land is no exception. The monochrome nature of, of Metroid 2 actually was a real problem. It was a hindrance. It, it created issues um, with just stock playability. Uh, so Super Mario Land doesn't run into that uh, at all. Uh, so do check this game out you know, and give it a play if you haven't in a while. And if you're looking for an introduction to gaming, like I said, this is what you want. Four out of five stars all the way, Super Mario Land. Um, we will be doing, for a future game talk, Again, like I said, other game talks, I might do one more where it's just audio uh, and, and it's a review of some kind. And you will get another game talk probably in episode 299C coming up. Uh, but this, do remember that this will be going to, this will be a video show. There'll be an audio edition too, but it will be a video show that I will be putting, it'll only be for the $5 tier in the future. And I will make that video something that you want to see. There are going to be things to see in it. It's going to have a point, um, even though the audio version will be just as listenable, you know, as far as that goes as well. Um, so anyway, yeah, here's our, our really our very first uh, official game talk in the Patreon feed, and we'll wrap it up with that with Super Mario Land. It's a great way to start, in my opinion, because it's a great way for you to start getting into video games if you're not. But uh, that's it for this episode. I will see all of you on the other side and on the next game talk. Game over. <laughs>